Things Choir. This morning we are jumping into a new preaching series that I have entitled All Out on the Table, and that uh, means to imply exactly what it says. We're uh, pushing toward our event that's coming, uh, not this coming weekend, but the next. We've got two weeks away until the table event. And, uh, and before we do that, and before we uh, begin to serve our community, I believe that there are some things that we just need to lay out on the table. And I said, if, uh, if you read any kind of things that we put on Facebook this week, that we're just not going to hold anything back. We're not going to pull any punches. And sometimes I, th- I think we need to address some of our hesitation and our kind of presuppositions and kind of some of our reservations when it comes to serving people and some of the complacency that we have in our heart. And so this morning, as we talk this week and next week, we're just going to lay some things out on the table and we're going to kind of hit it right where it is and right where it stands. And when I was thinking about all that, I was thinking about one of my most favorite movie characters uh, of, of really, uh, not really all time, but one of my most favorite movie characters in the story of his throughout uh, his journey on this movie. And so I'm talking about Mr. Marley. If you know who Mr. Marley is, Mr. Marley is kind of the creepy old man. He's the guy who lives in the house that's a little bit set off from the street. It's kind of dark. It's kind of nobody ever hangs around Mr. Marley's house. If you lived in that neighborhood, you probably weren't allowed to trick or treat at Mr. Marley's house. As a matter of fact, the kids in the neighborhood talk about how Mr. Marley probably killed somebody one day and, and what he does and, and how he handles himself. You just kind of think, yeah, that's that guy, right? He wears boots everywhere he goes in a long jacket. He doesn't say much. And he's just one of those creepy old men. But then something happens. Main character of the movie goes to church one day, and Mr. Marley's sitting in the church, and he's sitting there watching his granddaughter sing. And he finds out from the main character in the movie that his son and he have a really kind of a strange relationship, but he doesn't feel like he's welcome in the church. And the young man, the main character, says, you're always welcome in church. And by the end of the movie, the man that you were scared enough to steal a toothbrush to avoid is now hitting the wet bandits over the head with a snow shovel, saving Macaulay Calkin uh, home alone. I mean, we love Mr. Marley at the end of the movie, right? Because Mr. Marley had to just lay some things out. He had to just kind of be honest with himself. That's really his name in the movie. He had to just kind of become who he was. But at the beginning of the movie, he was a guy who kind of creeped you out. By the end of the movie, he was your man. Like, everybody loved Marley. You love the story, the redemption story. At the end of the movie, remember when finally Kevin's parents come home from wherever they were, Paris or whatever, and he looks out the window, and who's he see? He sees Marley, and he sees his son, and he sees his granddaughter running up. And so you got this whole redemption story from Mr. Marley in Home Alone, uh, 1990, with 30 years old. Oh, that movie is 30 years old. It's the greatest, like, uh, we watch it every Christmas with my dad because he thinks it's hilarious. And we just sit and really watch dad watch the movie because he just laughs over and over every time one of the, the robber guys gets hit with an iron or something like that. It's pretty enjoyable. But here's the part I love. When Marley got real... When he laid it all out on the table, he kind of just said, listen, this is who I am, and this is the why, the way that I am. It began to change some things in not only his life, but in the way that we viewed him as well. There's something that's refreshing, something that's honest about putting it all out on the table, not holding anything back, not having any reservation, not having any uh, fears, not having any kind of things that would keep us from really being who we really, truly are. Now, when we put things out on the table, I believe our perspective changes too. We see people differently. We love people differently. We realize some things about ourselves and about them 
and we're confronted with some really harsh realities. So through this series, what we're going to do is we're going to look at some of those things, and we're, I'm going to say some hard things, some truth, but they're hard truths. We're not going to dance around the issues, and we're going to look at our own uh, constructs and our own excuses, really just call them what they are, they're excuses, right? And, and when we put it all on the table, I believe along the way, my prayer is that we'll begin to see people and opportunities and a whole new perspective. So I believe that we kind of connect on this series on a number of different levels because when we think about putting things all out on the table, there's a fear that's involved, right? Because we like when we're dealing with individuals for everything to be out in the open, right? We like for their stuff their business, their reservations to all be out on the table because we want to know what we're getting into. We want to know all the possible outcomes of the situation. We want to know before we jump, right? But when it's our stuff that needs to be put out on the table, well, we don't like that. We like to, what's the, we like to hold all the cards, right? We like to kind of reserve things back for that just until revealing them benefits us the best, right? Ever traded a car right, with a possible problem. Oh, man, it started making that knocking noise on the way here. It's been doing it for like six months. The check engine light, you just thought it was a little pretty light on the, on the dash. It's something that you should have gotten checked out a long time ago. Oh, I don't know what's going on here. Yeah, it might have some issues, right? Or, uh, I don't know, guys, think back uh, maybe when you were young and dumb and, and you were dating this girl and you were like really all about her and you just forgot to tell her that you still lived at home with your mom, right? You were just kind of holding that back a little bit. Or maybe some of you got married with uh, about $200,000 worth of student loan debt in a, uh, in a degree, in a pursuit, in a field that you're not sure you want to continue in anymore or not, right? And you just kind of wait until you're married and you're like, oh, I forgot to tell you. I have like this $400 a month payment that is never going to be paid off, right? And so there's some things that we like to reserve until we can play it, until we can put it out on the table because we think, oh, we've got you where we want you. Now we're going to put out our secret weapon, right? And we put it all out then. Then it's like, what can you do with it? It's all out here. But what I believe we can do on the front end is just set it all out and just be real honest with ourselves, number one, and with God, number two, we can, we can really begin to understand what real faith looks like. So we're going to be in James chapter 2. If you've got your Bible, go ahead and turn there. Uh, we've been in James for the last seven weeks. This is week eight in James on Wednesday nights in our adult Bible study. We uh, have been diving through the book of James. And if you can think, uh, how can you spend eight weeks in James? We just got out of chapter one. Okay, so we're, we're going slowly and methodically through James. And it's really, really good. It's a great discussion. If you're not in part of that on Wednesday night, then you need to be there because it's just really that good. I, I love it that much. And James, if you know anything about James, James doesn't pull any punches. He just says what it is and says what it is really in our face and doesn't really apologize for that. And, and he challenges us to really live beyond superficial faith and put our, our, our faith into action. And so if James chapter 2, let's, let's just start with verse 14. We're getting right into the meat of, of all the stuff that's really contested about James. This is what he says. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save him? Now this is really... Uh, this is kind of the, one of the most controversial verses about James. He's saying, what are you doing about what you say that you believe? That's the big question here. 
If you could read the commentaries on this, maybe some of you have, there's just volumes of commentaries about this one verse. Y'all remember I've said this in here before, Martin Luther, uh, the Protestant Reformation leader, hated the book of James. He, he said, quote, it should be tossed out and thrown into the fire. Like he just did not like it because it's so in your face. He doesn't discount the, the fact that God breathed it and it's, it's real. He just didn't like how hard it was. And this is one of the things that's really, really hard. And, and what people get this and they get this twisted and they think what James is trying to say is you earn your salvation by what you do. But that's not what he's saying. Don't, don't miss what he's saying. The Bible's very clear. It's by grace through faith that we are saved, uh, not by works so that no man can boast, right? We've got that. Paul says that for us over and over and over again. So we know that he's not saying you have to earn it. But here's what he is saying. If you have faith, then it changes everything. It changes the way you live. It changes the way you love. It changes the way you serve. It changes the way you work. It changes the way that you do everything. And I've got four hard points this morning. Here's point number one. What we do tells others more about what we believe than what we say. What we do tells others more about what we believe than what we say. Too many of us are sitting around claiming something that we're not living. Jesus said he came to seek and save the lost, yet, yet I'm not actively telling anybody about who he is. Jesus said, if, if I have something against my brother, I should literally leave my offering at the altar, go and reconcile with my brother, and come back and then worship. And we got people in this room that can't stand other people in this room. Jesus said that no one can serve two masters. Either you'll love the one and, and, and hate the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. But yet constantly we continue to put our addictions above our devotions. And our addictions don't necessarily just have to mean drugs and alcohol, right? Those are the ones we like to talk about, sex, drugs, and alcohol. Those are the things that always come from the pulpit. But listen, our addictions go deeper than just that. Sometimes our addictions are caffeine and nicotine. Maybe it's attention. Maybe it's social media. Hello. Maybe it's dramatics. Maybe we're addicted to uh, approval. Maybe it can just be a person that we put before our devotion. Jesus said, I did not come to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. And church, can I just be real honest and just say this? We do events and community events to serve the people in this town, and we have to beg for people to give up a weekend or an afternoon. And Jesus said, my whole life is service. We are claiming things that we're not living and what you do says more about your faith than what you say. We've got all the right answers. We've grown up, most of us has grown up in church. Maybe you're new to church, but you, you're learning the lingo, right? We've got all our little code words. I did a whole series on code words. We've got all these things that we say that we know that we're supposed to say to kind of fit the mode of what a good Christian person is, yet we don't put the words that come out of our mouth into action in our life. And we're claiming something that we're not living Every day. We got to put feet to our faith and stop being complacent. And James says, right out of the gate, he says, don't live like that. Don't live just the talk. Don't do that and call it faith. 
because that's not what real faith is. Keep reading. Verse 16. He says, suppose I go to a brother or sister who's without clothes and daily food, and one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? This is a hard one. This one kind of hits us in our self-righteous bone. You know that one? It's kind of like a funny bone, but it hurts a little deeper. Here's number two. Good intentions do not equate active faith. I'm going to say that again. Good intentions do not equate active faith. Well, I meant to, or I was, I was going to, or I, 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 was, I was going to try to do this. Do we honestly think that we can get to heaven and look Jesus in the eye and say, well, I, I meant to tell people about you. I just got busy. Or I, I was going to serve, but I forgot. Or I planned on helping people, but, you know, life just got real crazy and things got in the way. Do you think, honestly, that he's going to be satisfied with that? Listen, Andy Stanley says it like this, and I've quoted this many times. I think it's so good. Your direction, not your intention, determines your destination. Your direction, not your intention, determines your destination. Meaning this, it doesn't matter where you meant to end up. Where you're going is where you're going to end up. And for a lot of us, a lot of us mean to do the right thing. Are we meant to help out and do this? Are we meant to tell people about who he was? Are we meant to do that? Are we meant to do that? But those things don't matter. It's your direction. What you actually do that matters. The table, this event, this thing that's coming up in a couple of weeks is for everybody. I cannot tell you how excited I am about this event. I've talked to a lot of people in the town. This is kind of getting around. There's a lot of folks who are, who are mentioning this. So hopefully you guys are doing your part and, and handing out these invite cards because they're, they're every, I went to the get, or I went to the car wash this last week. I went to the car wash and was using the vacuum and inside the little vacuum thing, there was a table invitation. Uh, this is great. Put them everywhere. I don't care where they are. Put them all over the place because people are talking about it. And, and folks are are excited that we're, we're changing the focus to, to not just do fun things, but to really meet a need within our community, to really begin to put uh, action behind what we say is important. And really, this is for everybody. We've talked about it on a number of different levels. This is not just for folks who need a meal. It's for them. But it's also for all of us. I, I want everybody here to come. If you want to come out to eat and you want to bring your family, but you don't want to pay $50 at the Mexican restaurant, then you come here and eat a plate full of fish and we'll give it to you for free, right? If, if you have a, a, a date night with your wife, that's an awful date night, but you should do it anyway. Take her to eat fish at the, at the table. There's all these opportunities for people to come. And, and when we're there, you know what? We're going to connect people to ministry and what it means to be involved in a local church, not just a manual church, but a local church church. We're going to do all these things. If there's people there that need groceries, we're going to give them a sack full of groceries. We've got a budget money to spend on, on serving and meeting the needs of the people in our community and church. That's what church is all about. That's what we're called to do. That's what Jesus calls us to do. If not, then we're just like the people that James just said. If somebody comes to you who's, who's hungry and is not well fed, you say, go, I wish you well. You know, be, be warm and be fed and we don't do anything to meet their need. James says, what good is that? What's it matter? And so what we're trying to do through this event is we're trying to say, you know what? This matters. Our community matters. The people in our community matters. It's not about 
us patting ourselves on the back and saying, look what we did. That's not it at all. It's how many people can we point to the love of Jesus. It's not about our church. It's not about Harmony Church who partners with us. It's about Jesus and serving and meeting the needs of people. And if we were just to say, you know, listen, thanks for coming and, and not feed them or not give them something to help them out, you know what? What good would it be? Do we honestly expect people who are hungry, who are starving, to respond to the gospel when they can't hear it because of their stomachs? Church, that's our job. That's our we got kids. We've got kids in our schools that go home every evening. If they don't have a backpack full of the backpack ministry food, they don't eat dinner. And they come back and they eat breakfast at school and they eat lunch at school. And we send them home with a backpack so they have something to eat at night. We've got kids that when they come home for school on Friday, they, they load extra stuff in it so they have stuff to get through the weekend. Well, I know of kids who, who when, when gone to their house, they're, they're, they're at their house sucking on ketchup packages because that's dinner. Listen, church, we've got a, meet, a need that we've got to meet right here. And this is just one simple. We're not, we're not, we're not shaking the foundations of of, of warm by serving this meal, but you know what we're doing? We're, we're here to meet a need. And we're going to do that. But we cannot do that and sit back and go, this, this, is, this is somebody else's responsibility. This is for somebody else to do. That's what the church is meant for. And all of our good intentions don't mean anything unless we're here to make it happen. All of our good intentions of, oh, I was going to, or I meant to, or, or maybe I should, but I don't know. All that stuff doesn't matter. Unless we're here. You know what Jesus said? Jesus says in Matthew chapter 25. This is great. He's talking and he says, The king will say to those on his right. He's talking about heaven and talking about his father. And he says, The king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Keep reading. The people are saying, when in the world did we do that? How in the world did we ever do that for you, Jesus? And in verse 40, he says, I'll tell you the truth. Whatever you did for the one of the least of my brothers, you did for me. And we read that and we go, oh, that's incredible. But you know what the scary part is? He keeps talking. And he says the opposite of all that things. He said, to those on his left, he says, you know what? You didn't do those things. You didn't feed me when I was hungry, thirsty, naked, sick, or in prison. You didn't meet the need that was in my life. You did not do that. And he looks at those people and he says, depart from me and go to eternal punishment. Because when you didn't do it for the least of my brothers, you did not do it for me. Church, that should scare us to death. We should see the need and quit intending to do well and actually do well. We've got to stop hoping for the best in people's lives and not trying to point them to what is best. We have to stop wishing them well and start putting feet to our faith and loving people and serving people and meeting the needs in people's lives and meeting them in the middle of their mess just like Jesus met you in the middle of your mess. We're supposed to point them to who he is, and show them what real, true, active, authentic faith looks like. Do you notice what he did in this? This is great. This James does what he does. He keeps writing. And he repeats that phrase, what good is it? Remember, he started verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? 
And he ends verse 16, but does nothing about his physical needs. What good is it, right? He's, he's bookending that thought. What good is it? That, that Greek word really means to heap up, to profit, or to advantage, gain an advantage. And he's saying, church, you've got a lot of good intentions. And you're heaping up a lot of good intentions, but those good intentions don't mean anything. What good is it? James narrows all this down to one really kind of theme verse for the whole book of James. It's really kind of the one that's most in our face, I believe. Uh, Verse 17 says this. In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. In the same way, all the worthless good intentions, all the empty well wishes, all the hope this works out for you statements that we make without real, practical, life-changing help attached, James says, What good is it? It's faith without action is dead. So here's my third point, and it's a hard one. Number three, there's too many dead people in this church. There's too many dead people in this church. We're walking around with all of our good intentions. We're walking around with all of our hope to's and wish wells. But but we're we're not living out real, true, active faith. Now, listen to what James did not say. James did not say you're not saved. That's not what he said. He didn't say faith without action is not real faith or not, uh, not true authentic faith or not saving faith. That's not what he said. He said it's dead. It's dead faith. That Greek word uh, used there is necros. And necros, is, it just means this. It means um, deceased, one that has breathed its last, uh, one that is lifeless. It's used 132 times in the New Testament. But it also means this. Spiritually without force or power. Church, our faith has no power. It's dead. What would Jesus have to say about that? What would Jesus say about the way we treat faith right now? Remember back in Matthew chapter 17, there's this there's this boy who has an evil spirit, right? And, and his parents bring him to the disciples. And he asked, they ask the disciples, can you just please get rid of this uh, malevolent spirit in this boy's life? And the disciples try and they can't. And they kind of fail. And, and so they're like, well, let's take him to Jesus. And so they carry him over to Jesus. And, and Jesus casts the, the, the spirit out of the boy. And uh, he goes back home with his parents. And the disciples ask Jesus the great question. How'd you do that, <laughs> right? This is, why couldn't we do that, right? That's the question that, that they want to know really is, is deep down. Why could we not do what you did? And you know what his answer was, Matthew seventeen twenty. Because you have so little faith. He says, if you have faith, I'll tell you the truth. If you have faith, as small as a mustard seed, you can say this mountain move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible. That's the kind of faith that Jesus wants from us. That's the kind of faith. I think, church, if we're honest with ourselves, that's the kind of faith that we want. We want mountain-moving faith. We want the power of faith that reside in our life. And say, you know what? This is changing everything about me and changing everything within me and changing how I live. I can't do life the same way I did before this entered. And now that I have this faith, now that I believe in the Son of God who came to earth to save me of my sin, and I can point people to Him, I can live this out. And I can let it, let the power of the Spirit live in me, and I can change things, not just in other people's, but in my own life. I 
believe, church, if we're honest, that's the kind of faith that we want. Not this powerless faith. Not this weak, afraid, dead faith. But I think we want real faith. The only way to do that is to put faith into action to do what God's called us to do. When he says, love the Lord your God with all your strength, with all your mind, with all your heart, to love your neighbor as yourself, to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Right? He says this over and over and over again. When we do that, that builds up that faith in us. And we begin to live it out and it builds up that power and we begin to see who he really is and live how he really is. Dead faith is not the kind of faith that we want. There's too many dead people in this church. So James does next, I think, the most incredible thing because he takes away our excuse. Because when we read and we're confronted with truth like that, our, our immediate action is to push back, right? I don't, ah, that's a, that's a little bit too hard. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, but he, he takes our excuses and he just wipes them away. Keep reading verse 18. Some will say, you have faith, I have deeds. And James says, you show me your faith without deeds and I'll show you my faith by what I do. I love this because he's making an argument and a counter argument in the same verse. It's pretty great. You have faith, I have deeds. Is there a difference? And James screams off the page, yes, there's a huge difference. You want to know that difference? Real faith is activated and it's evidenced when we live it out. Real faith is evidenced when we live it out. There should never be a point where somebody has to look at you and ask, are you a Christian? Because they should be able to tell by the way you live your life, by the actions that you... It's not, look, I'm faking it till I make it. That's not that. It's that we have something real in us that changes everything about us. And people go, man, there's something different about that guy. There's something different about that lady. They've got something in them that's not the same as everybody else. And it points nothing to ourselves, but everything back to him. Jesus said in John 15, For remain in me and I will remain in you. A branch cannot bear fruit by itself. But it must, be, it must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. That fruit, church, is proof of your faith. He's saying, you stay hooked into me. You do what I'm asking you to do. You, you, you rely on me. Right? The, the King James Version is abide. Right? Abide in me. And I will abide in you. And you'll produce fruit. Proof. Of your faith. So, if people were to look at your life, which let me in on the secret, they are. If people were to look at your life, what would they see as your priorities? What would they see as the fruit of your life? A, a thriving business, it's a good thing. Marriage, kids, those are all great things. Retirement, that's a great thing. But what's the most important thing that they're going to see? I, I don't know if it's my age or maybe it is. It's probably just because I feel like I'm getting old. <laughs> I remember as a kid growing up, I wanted to be, this is awful. 
I wanted to be like Tommy Lee, right? I was a drummer. I remember as a kid, I watched MTV when my parents weren't at home because I wasn't allowed to watch it when they were there. And, and I would set up pillows off the couch and I had drumsticks, I had drums and my uncle was a drummer and so I had all this stuff. And so I'd set up the pillows on the couch and I'd watch, I'd watch MTV and I'd watch music videos and I'd be banging it out like Tommy Lee. And when that drum cage would come out and start spinning, I was like, yeah, I want to do that. I want to be remembered as an awesome drummer. And then I got older, and I was like, mm, there's a lot of things about him I don't want to be remembered as like him. <laughs> and then I thought, oh, I could do this, or I could do that, or I could be this, or I could be that. You know what? When I get to real with myself, there's, there's three things that I want to be known as. I want to be known as a good husband. I want to be known as a good dad. And I want to be known as somebody who loved people because Jesus loved them. That's all I want to be known as. That's, that's all I care about. If anybody looks at my life, I don't have, listen, I'm not going to have uh, all the, the, the Floridian retirement homes or the Colorado mountain lodges. I'm not going to have all that. I don't care about all that. I, I want to be known as just a good husband, a good dad, and somebody who loved Jesus and who loved other people. That's it. And, and really, when it comes down to that, I believe that's, that's the proofs of faith. That James is talking about here. Listen, you, you show me your faith without deeds, and I'll show you my faith by what I do. People look at me, they're going to know what I believe, what I hold most important. So church, what are people seeing? Is there just constant need for more in your life? Is there this constant pursuit for something else? You know what that looks like? It looks like unsettlement. It looks like you're discontent. Is there, is there just one sole focus and, man, you're going to do this at, no, at all the cost that doesn't matter. I'm going, to, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. That's okay sometimes. But it can't be the, that can't be the thing. What are the fruit of your life? What are people seeing? And then James pushes that even further. And, and I love, he says this, uh, one of the most in-your-face comments to us and to the Jews uh, who, are, who are hearing this and reading this. This is great. Verse 19, this is really our last verse. It says, you believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. That's an incredible verse. Now, we read that and we go, oh, that's kind of, yeah, good. You know, that's kind of in his face. But here's, here's what he's doing. And nobody, if you don't connect some dots, you've got to connect some dots here because it's really great. If, if you've been around here long enough, you've heard me talk about the Shema. The Shema is the, is the, the prayer that most Jews would pray every day. They have been for thousands of years, okay? If, if you go to a rabbinical Jew's uh, life right now and ask them what's one prayer you say over and over again, they're going to say this prayer. This prayer is recorded for us in Deuteronomy chapter 6. It starts off because the word Shema means hear. That's why I call it that. And the Deuteronomy chapter 6 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And it goes on to say, Love the Lord your God with all your strength, with all your with all your mind, with all your heart, with all your strength, right? We know that verse. But that here, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. It's an incredibly important prayer to the Jewish culture. And James takes that and he throws it in their face. And he says, you believe that there is one God? Good. He's throwing the Shema. Here, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Back at them. He's saying, oh, you believe that? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. What he's saying here is so great. Number four, this is my fourth point. Faith is more than agreeing with demons. Faith is more than agreeing with demons. 
He takes that Shema and he says, listen, you can recite this all you want. You can, quote unquote, believe it all you want. But there's more to it than just knowing the prayer. There's more to it than just understanding what it says. Listen, every demon is monotheistic. It means they believe in one God. They understand who God is. They understand who He, uh, who he is and what He's done. They, they know it. They believe it. And they've seen it to be true. Think about Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3, uh, Jesus is walking around and a, a man who has a demon living in him runs up to him and says, Whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they po- the possessed fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. Right? Mark chapter 5, a demon-possessed man comes and cries out, What do you have to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you before God, don't torment me. One commentary I read said this, Every satanic temptation to discount God's supremacy comes from a demon who knows better. I love that. Because church, they know better. They understand that God is on the throne. They are under His rule, right? They, he can only go so far. Think back to Job. I talk about Job all the time, but I love the story of Job when the devil's wandering around the earth looking for someone to attack. And he comes to God and he says, what about Job? And, and God's like, well, I mean, yeah, what about him? And, and the devil goes back and forth. Actually, God is the one who introduces Job. It's a whole other story. We don't have time to get into that. But you know what? remember what God says to him? He says, you can only do this. You can do all these things, but you cannot do this. And the, day, the devil leaves his presence and goes. Because even him, have, even the enemy has restriction. Every demon knows that there's one God. And faith, real faith, goes beyond just knowing the right answers. It goes beyond just the simple little agreement with a demon. You know that there's one God good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. That word shudder is interesting. It's only used once in Scripture. It's right here. And it's, it's the Greek word phorizo. It's really a great word. But here's what I read. I was reading this excerpt of this book. I put it on the screen. The title of the book is Emotions and Mass Atrocity, The Physiological and Theoretical Explorations by Thomas Broham and Johann Long. It's really not fun to read. I read this excerpt. Okay, This is what it said. The Greek phorizo... Which, is, which means to bristle, alludes to a bristling sensation, goose flesh, especially the bristling of the hair on one's head. This well-known manifestation of horror is also linked to another symptom that's a feeling of frozen, probably because the obvious connection with the goose flesh as a physiological reaction to cold, which is the Latin word frigus. Okay? Here's what it means. When, when James says... That demons shudder. It literally means that the demons, when they understand and they think about who God is, it literally gives them the chills. It gives them the goosebumps. Talk about hell freezing over. This is this is what it's talking about, right? This is incredible. The demons, like the demons, believe this, and like they get the little goose pimples on their arm, and they're like, "Oh gosh, that's scary," right? And and he's saying, "Listen, James pushes past our ritualistic religious practice and our understanding, and he says, listen, do more than just agree with demons. Do what the demons can't do: live it out. Don't just don't just agree with them." Oh, yeah, God, I believe in God. God's good. I, I get it. I, I'll go to church. Every, I, it's more than that. It's faith in action. Do what they can't do. Live it out. Here's my last thought, and I'm done. 
I remember uh, we talk about movies. I don't know why today is the kind of the theme. I talked about the old man Marley. Um, I remember watching movies with my grandpa when I was a kid. And uh, we watched old westerns like uh, Clint Eastwood movies and, and John Wayne movies like uh, old, uh, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly and uh, Hang Em High. I remember that, watching that one with him. I remember he had just got a VCR for the very first time and he went down to the movie theater or movie rental place back when you had to do that, kids. You don't know what that's like. And you get a, you get a VHS and he, would came, he came back with these VHSs and we watched these old westerns. And I loved doing that with my, with my grandpa. He always had a western on. Uh, one of the things that drove me nuts about some of those well, they were those old spaghetti westerns. Y'all know what those are. If you don't, you're not old enough. Uh, just a nod and agree like you know what I'm talking about. It makes me feel better. Um, and so Old Spaghetti Western is just a Western that was shot in Italy, and, and they had Italian actors, and, and they didn't have very good uh, English. Uh, they didn't speak very uh, good English like I'm not doing right now. And, uh, and they, would, they, would, they would say their line, but then they'd have an English actor dub over the, the, the voice. It was almost like watching an old kung fu movie set in the Western time. It was really pretty bad, right? These guys were walking around going, this horse is crazy. And it was just bad, okay? And so they, it would just drive me nuts watching those with him. And he didn't care. He's just watching these Westerns. He thought they were all great. He, listened, he watched them all, and it was great. But, but the longer I watched it, you could kind of get used to it. You're just like, uh, it's not right. Something's a little off. Something's not lined up right. But there's just this unnerving, unsettling part of watching the show like that. And I wonder... I wonder if that's how God sees us sometimes. That what we're actually doing doesn't really line up with what we're actually saying. That, that the words that kind of come out don't really match the action of our life. That we claim one thing and that we don't really live it out. So I put it on my last thought. When it comes to living out your faith in real practical ways, do your actions match your faith? Do your actions match are they are you like one of those old westerns or just doesn't line up things are just a little off just a little unsettled if you watch close enough it's just not right church these these realities what we do says more about our faith than what we say there's too many dead people in this church these these thoughts of understanding that it takes action to do and to, that, that faith is more than just setting back and saying that we believe something. It's living it out. It's being evidenced in our life. There's proof. There's fruit. Church, this goes beyond the table. I know that we're talking about that. and That's a little part of what I was talking about this morning. It goes beyond the table. Yeah, it's, it's evidence there. We're going to show up. We're going to serve. We're going to do all that. Listen, I looked at the sign-up list. There's not a lot of people who signed up. This is not a guilt trip to get you to sign up and serve, but this is a reality check to say, am I going to really live this out? Or am I just going to talk about it? This comes into the way that we do our business. This comes into the way that we handle our finances. This comes into the way that we treat our spouse and parent our kids. This is every aspect of our life. Are we going to say all the right things? Are we going to actually do it? We're going to actually live it out. James says you can't fake it. Either you live it and you believe it, or you don't. And don't, don't 
and call that faith. Because that's not what faith looks like. So church, what are we going to do? You have an option to sit back and continue to be passive and continue to not do anything. But nowhere in faith does it leave room for passivity. Nowhere in faith does it sit back and say, let somebody else. I've already served. I've already done mine. Nowhere does it stop. Excuses are excuses. It's time to put action behind what we say we believe. TJ's going to come. I invite you to stand. I'm going to let you stand and bow. and We're going to pray and we're just going to ask God to speak to us and be real to us. Hey, this is Matt Overall. I'm the pastor here at Emmanuel Baptist Church. Just want to say thanks so much for watching our services, whether through our television ministry or our online ministry. We appreciate you so much being a part of Emmanuel Baptist Church, and we'd love to have you come and join our worship service. Uh, Sunday morning service starts at 10.30. Our small groups start at 9.30. And we'd love to have you be a part of it. We've got a lot of different ministries that happen at Emmanuel, from our children and youth that's focused on Wednesday nights to our uh, women's Bible studies that happen throughout the week. We'd love to have you be a part of everything that's going on here at Emmanuel. Thanks for watching.